Welcome to Sermon Notes. After a short time away, we're back and we're ready to launch into our spring sermon series. Garland, good to have you back. It's good to be with you, Clark, as always. Yeah, we took a uh, brief break during Advent, did an overview of that, but um, we're back for our uh, spring series. We're going to be working through a couple of Old Testament narratives, um, studying the life of Esther and, um, and Daniel. And so it's going to be a great time um, working up through Palm Sunday together, Garland. And so when we're considering Old, Old Testament narrative, uh, what are some things we need to be mindful of uh, when we were studying the people of Israel? Yeah, the first thing is, um, I mean, where are we in the story? And we're going to talk about this some on Sunday. If you've taken panorama of the Bible, you may need to pull back out your panorama timeline. Um, it's always one of the challenges in reading the Old Testament, especially, especially to parts that drop into some kind of historical context, is uh, where are we in this story? Like, where what's actually going on and uh, what's going on in the context? And that's true of Esther and it's true of Daniel as well. Uh, and so both of these two stories, um, we'll talk a little bit in a, in a little bit about their uh, kind of authorship and dating and all that stuff, yeah. but uh, both of these two stories are set in the time of the exile. And uh, it's not just in the time of the exile. We have to remember that the nation of Israel, the 10 northern tribes were carried into exile in 722 at the hands of the Assyrians. Uh, In 586, the two southern tribes of Judah are carried into Babylonian exile. And then in 539, so about... Oh, it's about 50 years later, Mm -hmm. Persia takes over Babylon, just like nations rise and fall today. Persia takes over Babylon. Now they're the big kid on the block. Um, As a result, they inherit Israel as part of that territory. And Persia enables some of the Jews living in exile in their kingdom to go back. But many of the Jews, uh, they remain in scattered territories all over the Persian empire. And um, that's where we're going to drop. I mean, so we got to get ourselves oriented to the fact that as we read Esther, we're going to be dropping into an ancient Persian empire far away from Israel, people living as uh, almost as refugees trying to make it in foreign territory. And in that culture, there were some stories that were circulated and stories that became prominent and stories that became part of our scripture. And that's what we're reading when we read the book of Esther. And so yeah. um, it's it's different than reading Paul. You know, you read the narrative. You're looking for plot and character development. You're looking for the way that the author is portraying those characters. And, and in Esther... You definitely have a lot of that in Oh, Esther. yeah. All it's that's really important in Esther because Esther is... Um, Esther's told, we might say, with a lot of tongue-in-cheekness. The author's really clever as the story of Esther unfolds. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about that some on Sunday. Um, But like every good story, every good story uh, has characters in action, and they're meant to invite you in. They're meant to make you think about the characters. We'll have some of that in chapter two here. Ask hard questions. What would I do in that situation? And as such, we actually love stories. We love telling stories. I, I remind people all the time, the Bible doesn't answer all our questions. And we tend to want things as Westerners in bullet point form, you know, question and answer kind of form. But that doesn't make for that good of reading. And it definitely doesn't make for that good of storytelling. And the book of Esther was told every year on a big feast celebrated by the Jews. Feast of Purim. Feast of of Purim. And we'll talk about that here in a few weeks. It's the last section of the book. Um, But 
when we're reading Esther, we're reading festival tales that are meant to yeah. be shared, meant to be heard, meant to be celebrated, meant to be told to kids. And I got three of them, and they don't want to hear bullet points. And so they love stories. Yeah. We all we make movies about great stories. So when you're reading Esther, try to appreciate that as we go through. There's going to be some weird, wild stuff in there and a lot of names and places we don't understand. Um, but just just put those, those lenses on as you yeah. read it, and I think it will help us as we go about it. Yeah, and you see um, them trying to maintain from a spiritual perspective a sense of their identity in a place that's not not their home and they're trying to be spiritually at home if you will um in a pagan place um where they don't feel welcome and um and so i think that spiritually speaking we're going to understand some similarities that we can relate and apply some things to as well and uh, but we do have some some main characters we've got a persian king we've got esther We've got Mordecai, and we've got a man named Haman. And um, as the story builds, um, we're only going to be in it for four weeks. Mm-hmm. We're going to fly of, by it, yeah. Yeah, the rest of January. Um, but it's a fascinating story. And from from what we can see here, Garland, God is not mentioned yeah, in so the there, text. Yeah. But the people of Israel are mm-hmm. definitively uh, referred to. And so it's interesting because you see God's sovereign interaction, his faithfulness to his people, to his promises in a very dark place and time in their history. Yeah. And that's, there's a lot of unique features of Esther, especially, um, that make it just a a difficult, but kind of fun read. And one of those is the fact that, that God, Yahweh, none of those terms are used. Um, and so, like I said a minute ago, that's part of the cleverness of our author. I said tongue and cheekness. It's telling the story in a very particular way to make very particular points. Um, but you gotta, you kind of gotta read between the lines. You gotta work with the story. Um, you gotta work for it a little bit. Yeah. It's uh, it's filled with irony, reversals. Um, it's a classic in very very. Um, kind of literary circles or drama circles. It's a comedy in that sense. So yeah. it begins in a, a good place, drops into hard things, but it, the ending, we're back in a good place. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's comedic in that sense, if we're thinking like kind of ancient Greek uh, terms for this stuff. Yeah. Um, at the centerpiece of the book, and we're going to see this in your uh, your Esther outlines that we've got in the the book that we've that we've written here. Most scholars think that the book of Esther forms what we call a, a chiasm, and a chiasm basically is a, a literary device, especially used in the ancient world, where you mirror things working from the outside to the inside, and the centerpiece um, of the story becomes the places where those two mirrors come together, where those two. Uh, things that are mirroring each other kind of fit together. And in this particular story, we've noted this in the book, uh, what we're going to see is um, a very dramatic reversal, a sleepless night of a supposedly powerful king and then God's deliverance of his people. And so in that sense, you got to note the irony. You've got to note the reversals. You've got to note the way the story is being told. And when you do, you start to go, oh, I get it. I get what they're trying to do here. They could come out and just say, and then God was there and he delivered them. Um, But they're in exile. They're refugees. The culture doesn't get it. They don't, they're not understood. So in that culture, they write and tell stories like this. They're passed on generation to generation. And they become the history of a people, just like they would tell stories of his um, rescue from the Red Sea as they crossed the Jordan into the land. 
these stories are passed down from generation to generation. And in Deuteronomy, we're reminded that we're not to forget, we're always to remember. Mm-hmm. And so this story would have been a way to remember um, a form of God's rescue mm-hmm. um, for the people. And uh, Garland keeps, uh, if you're listening to us, Garland keeps uh, referring to this book. We have provided a study guide for Esther and Daniel. And so um, Sunday at church, you'll want to pick one of these up. Um, I can't remember how much they are. are. They ten dollars. We're charging ten, but I tell I'm, when I say this on Sunday, every year people come back and give us hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. If anybody can afford one of these, they're my treat. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I want to get, if we want to get a couple for my kids. That's gonna be thirty, but just grab one and we'll just tell the person at the booth and we'll make sure you get one. Yeah. Well, Garland, hey, let's uh, jump into our first week. We're gonna be working through chapters one to three. And obviously, you're going to walk us through that passage, but um, what are some things that, that may not make the sermon? Lots, lots yeah. and lots and lots of things. <laughs> the cutting room yeah. floor, let's yeah. hear it. When you do a series like this, where we're going to fly over a story and uh, kind of pick and choose scenes to tell that story, um, we're obviously going to miss a lot. Um, and so, uh, you'll have to make that same decision if you are doing this in your uh, like your community group, or if you're discipling people with this, um, you have to make the similar decision. And so, um, what we're going to see in this, these first three chapters is uh, a couple of the the unique features of Esther that I think make it really interesting. One of those is um, women figure prominently in Esther. We're going to see mm-hmm. one of our central figures who ends up being uh, the hero of the story of sorts is Esther herself. And um, another thing that's kind of it's, it's not there on the page, but it is if you work for it. Go, go do a character study of Esther, read the story, and just look at Esther. Uh, I got two daughters, so this is uh, interesting. She begins almost completely passive. She's being told what to do, instructed. She doesn't seem to uh, have a mind of her own almost. She's a passive agent of essentially the, the other male characters in her life. Yeah. However, by the end of the story, she's making decisions. She's decisive. She's leading. Mm. And that's just really cool. You've got a story with, that's named after an ancient yeah. uh, Hebrew woman. And that's just a, that, that's a feature that I think I, I want to note as we go through this. Uh, another part that we won't have time to wade into much on Sunday is there is... It's not a better way to say it. There's moral ambiguity in the book of Esther. It We're not quite sure what happens in every place along yeah. the way. And some of the stuff we, I may not advise my kids to do, or I may not. Right. When we read Esther, we're not looking to find, uh, you know, perfect characters to emulate. There's only one perfect character in the Bible, and that's Jesus. Um, when we're reading Esther, it's invi- like, again, it's inviting you, the the community group listener to the story or person sitting on Sunday, a person just reading it to hear a good story, yeah. engage it. Think about what it would mean for you to live in that situation. How would you respond? And the same thing's going to be true of Daniel. When we read Daniel, and that's why we've chosen actually to do these two narratives is, yeah. um, you know, we, we are called to live as exiles. First Peter would tell us that, that we are exiles in this world. Um, our citizenship is not of this world. And, we're going to be misunderstood and uh, confused and people yeah. are going to know what to do with us. And we're going to have to make decisions. And um, that's why we want to do these stories. So yeah. w- first things we'll note as you're looking at the, the first three chapters, we don't have time on Sunday or now to go through it. As you look at chapter one, just note, and this might be something to note with your community group. The, 
the ridiculousness of the way the story is told. I don't know how else to say it. Um, the narrator could be a lot faster with this story. Like if you look at six to eight, why go through the kinds of fabric? I mean, come on. Um, why have the officials in the second half of chapter one, they come in and report and they make a suggestion that he says, let's do this. And they, then they give the report. Like it's very pedantic reading. Um, and you know, just reflecting on that literarily, it's painting a picture. It's giving us a very, um, I like to think of it almost like a political cartoon of the Persian empire. Mm. You got this powerful King, but he can't make any decisions. He's just kind of a drunk idiot. Um, he can't get his wife even to come and show up. He's having this great, huge party, but yet he seems impotent throughout the story. So as you read chapter one, as you're noting chapter one, and this has been sticking with me, I'm not sure what to do with it. I'm going to mention on Sunday, but I'll, I'll say it this way. When it describes the party six to eight, um, I've been asking this question for myself. Do I see through that? I think the author is giving us all the description to get our attention to go, look, this is the, the way of power and beauty and success according to the world's standards, according to the Persian standards. It actually, look, It actually says in 8, Garland, it says uh, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. Yeah. Doesn't this sound like the good life? The, the life of comfort and ease and success and glory and... Yet the, the author's going out of, its, out of his way, I think, to give us all this description and all that I think he wants us to see through because it's all going to be a sham as the story unfolds. And it's, as the story unfolds, you see greed, you yeah. see deception, you see beauty, you see beauty turned upside yeah, it, down in lust, and everything. I, I think you're supposed to see through it. Yeah, you're supposed quick. to see through yeah. it. And the, the thing that's been sticking with me a little bit, and I'll just, I guess, a little confession here. When we see chapter one, do we see through it? Or do we see that as the good life? I, 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 yeah. I'm just letting that sit. That might be an interesting question for community group. Uh, yeah. Or as you're just is processing. What we're chasing? Yeah, it sounds a lot like the modern American world. Something um, that it doesn't deliver on. Right. Yeah. So just might be an interesting discussion yeah. question. When you get to chapter two, you have the probably the most famous part or most, most famous setup, we might say. Certainly chapter four is the most famous part. In chapter two, you have what gives us the background is uh, the queen is thrown out and we have this strange story where Xerxes', is, um, I guess his advisors suggest, hey, why don't we bring in women from all over the empire and uh, we'll give them a year to get ready and they're going to come in and they got one night to please you. And Esther's brought into that. And what we're going to do on Sunday is I'm just going to drop us into Esther's life. She's an orphan, refugee, living in foreign territory, no power, um, no prestige. She's now been kidnapped, brought into what seems like a drunken madman's harem to wait her turn to be brought in to please him. That doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. And one of the questions we're going to center on on Sunday is, what do you do when... Life doesn't seem fair and hits you in the mouth. And it seems like God's not even in the story. And that's going to be the question we're going to kind of wrestle through. Um, and then we're going to see somehow she's chosen. Somehow she's beautiful. Somehow she does find favor. Uh, somehow Mordecai overhears the plot in chapter three. Somehow things just keep working out. And it's going to set up this decisive moment for Michael 
he got the really fun one next yeah. week uh, with probably the most famous part of Esther where we see her courage in action. So we're going to try to set the stage, not give it away uh, this week. Um, let the drama and suspense build. And this week we're going to be centering on really the hard question that I think is important for all of us to ask and answer is when life hits and it will for all of us, mm-hmm. when life hits, how do you respond? Especially when you can't see how God's in it. And what we're going to see in Esther is uh, somehow, you know, I keep, I'm, that's very, you know, air quotes, somehow, somehow God keeps being faithful to his promise of this story, yet it's never stated. And isn't that a lot like life? When you yep. look back, you're like, I didn't know, there's no way God could have been in that. And sometimes that's the very thing that we're like, man, that's the thing God totally used to show me how faithful he was to me. And Esther wants us to do that. It's not, I'm going to tell you as the sermon notes, listener, community group leader, disciple maker, whoever you are out there, it's not, this ain't going to be easy. Um, Working with Esther is going to take some work. Uh, Leading it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Uh, We'll try our best to to teach it well and to do sermon notes well. Ask us if you got questions, but I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can all, even as this kind of intro one goes by here, to enter into the story Read between the lines. Let Esther do its work. Uh, it's meant to be read celebratorily at a, at a party where God, looking back on God's deliverance. So we got to keep that in mind always. And then ask some yeah. hard questions as we go. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful picture, and we'll see this all through the story of God's faithfulness to his people. I mean, Haman was incredibly committed with this plan to completely destroy every Jew. Mm-hmm. in that empire. And as the story unfolds, don't give it away. I'm not yeah. Give it away. Um, we see God being faithful at each step. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's going to be a great time in a narrative, uh, would encourage you. I know for uh, listeners to sermon notes, I've personally just been reading through the story devotionally and just making some comments and notes and just, Asking God, God, what do you want me to learn from this? And it's context. I'm in the context of my community and the context of our church. Uh, what do you have for us in the month of January here? And uh, I think it'll set us up for Daniel. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's going to be a fun ride. Well, Garland, hey, thanks for joining us on Sermon Notes. And until next week, this is Clark and Garland signing off. We'll see you next week with Michael.